All righty. Well, uh, just one or two more quick things just for our teens here. I do want to remind our teens that we do have our Christmas party. It's going to be this Sunday uh, at the time of our normal youth group. So let me uh, just remind you of the ugly sweater contest and uh, the white elephant gift exchange. I know that's always a, uh, a fun time. I've seen everything in a white elephant gift exchange from people giving people their retainers to uh, I once got an autographed picture of another teen at one point. Uh, it goes, it can be absolutely crazy, but let me just remind you teens uh, that our Christmas party is coming up, and don't forget to bring those of you that uh, signed up for dessert, don't forget to get those baked and ready to go, and those of you that signed up for side dishes, make sure you bring those Sunday night. And then let me also remind you that snow camp is coming up, and it's coming up fast. Uh, we've got some registration forms right there in the back. The cost for that is going to be $130. And so uh, I did send out an email to, I believe, all of our teen parents that just outlined the dates and the deadlines. I believe the deadline for the $20 deposit, not the full payment, just the deposit, is the first Wednesday in January. I believe it's January 5th. And so uh, if you've got a special situation, please just come talk to me. Uh, if there's some sort of way we need to communicate, if there's some way we can help you and, and work with you on perhaps, you know, timing out a paycheck or something like that, please don't hesitate to let us know. We want as many teens to go to snow camp as possible. So if you're interested in that, there's some registration forms in the back, and feel free to find me with any questions on that. All right, so if you would, take your Bibles to the book of Judges, chapter number 6. Judges, chapter number 6, uh, finishing up uh, the final part of our series, Who is God? Uh, who exploring God, who he is, and what that means for the Christian. I know this has been an encouraging study. I know it's been a convicting study for me. I hope it has been for you as well. Um, this is something that I know has really helped me and kind of seeing God in perhaps a different light. And uh, tonight, we're going to be seeing God in a light that I'm, I'm honestly super, super excited about. Uh, Judges chapter number 6, verse number 11. Judges chapter number 6, verse number 11. The Bible says, And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under, the, sat under an oak which was in Ophrah, that pertained unto Joash the Abizrite. And his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? Where be all his miracles which our fathers told, told us of, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? And he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. And he said unto him, If now I have found grace in thy sight, then show me a sign that thou talkest with me. Depart not hence, I pray thee, until I come unto thee, and bring forth, thy, bring forth my present, and set it before thee. And he said, I will tarry until thou come again. And Gideon went in, and made ready a kid, and unleavened cakes of, of an ephah of flour. The flesh he put in a basket, and he brought... And he put the broth in a pot and brought it out unto him under the oak and presented it. And the angel of God said unto him, Take the flesh and the unleavened cakes and lay them upon this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord put forth the end of his staff that was in his hand and touched the flesh and the unleavened cakes and there rose up fire out of the rock and consumed the flesh and the unleavened cakes. Then the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. 
And when Gideon perceived that he was an angel of the Lord, Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for because I have seen an angel of the Lord face to face. And the Lord said unto him, Peace be unto thee, fear not, thou shalt not die. This is where we're going to focus here tonight. Then Gideon built an altar unto the Lord and called it Jehovah Shalom. Unto this day it is yet an Ophrah of the Abiz rites. Jehovah Shalom. God is my peace. What a wonderful truth here tonight. But when we step back and we look at Gideon's situation here, when we look at his circumstances, when we look at the conditions that he was in, it draws the question, how is Gideon able to say amidst all that is going on that God is Jehovah Shalom, that he is my peace? Well, there's two factors I want us to consider here tonight. Number one, God will meet us where we are. God will meet us where we are. Now, in order for us to grasp this, let's take a second, let's step back, and let's consider the circumstances that Gideon was in. Now, when I was a kid, I used to think that Gideon, when he fought the Midianites, I used to think that he prevented an invasion. I used to think that the Midianites were coming towards them and that Gideon went out and fought them before they could get there, and that's actually not true. The Midianites had a very firm grasp on Israel. They had been under their hand of oppression so much so that when the angel finds Gideon, Gideon is actually threshing wheat in secret to hide it from the Midianites. The Midianites had the people of Israel living in fear daily. Their hand, their stronghold upon them was, was no joke. Gideon was, was undoubtedly living in fear. Now, can you imagine being Gideon now? So Gideon is now under this strong hand of oppression. The, these, these people, that their, their grip on the country is so strong that he feels that he even needs to gather his own food in secret. He is in so much fear, and now the angel comes to him and says, I'm going to lead you against them. Oh. Oh. Huh. Really? And how's that going to work? You can imagine being Gideon and being almost in disbelief. Feeling like, almost like, <laughs> good one. <laughs> I'm going to defeat the Midianites as one man. <laughs> That's a good one. Gideon's circumstances were far from ideal. But let's also consider this. Gideon's spiritual condition doesn't appear too great either. Look down at, at verse number 12. The Bible says, the angel, And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And where be all his miracles, which our fathers told us of, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Safe to say, Gideon was likely not in a good place with his faith. Gideon was most likely very bitter, perhaps very angry. At best, Gideon was a pessimistic skeptic. That's what he was at this point in his life. And yet, even though Gideon perhaps wasn't, you know, spiritually where we would consider most of our giants of the faith, it didn't change God's plan for his life. Because sometimes what we like to do is we like to look at the Moseses and the, the Gideons and, and the Davids. And we like to assume that these men had some sort of supernatural spirituality that, that we don't have access to today. That like the Holy Spirit somehow had some sort of device that made them extra, 
put them on a level spiritually that just isn't attainable for us today. But the more we read the Bible, the more we find that these men were, to put it simply, very flawed. The Bible even goes into somebody like Elijah and says that Elijah was a man of like passions like we are. Gideon, he he was sitting here, and man, he, he was not in a good place spiritually. In fact, when the angel comes to him and even comes to him and says, you're going to do this, not only does he kind of lash out at the name of God, but he actually sits there and says, well, even if, even if I was going to do this, even if this was God's plan for my life, you've got the wrong guy, man. That's what Gideon looks at him and he says, He said, listen, even if this were possible for us to break the chains of our oppressor, the Midianites, trust me, man, I'm not your guy. My family is poor in Manasseh, and to make things even worse, I'm the least in my house. Not only is my family one of the lowest, we're not up here, man, we're way down here, but not only are we way down here, and if we're way down here, then I'm like down here. Like, are you out of people or something? Because you're really scraping the bottom of the barrel right now. Gideon Gideon was not perhaps the stereotypical spiritual hero, at least not at first. And yet we see that in spite of Gideon's flaws, God's plan remained the same. Let me just say this. God doesn't use you because you are great. God uses you because he is great. God never uses me because of me. God uses me in spite of me. You know, reading stories like this, seeing that somebody who may have very well been like almost like an agnostic at this point in his life, And God comes to him and says, you're going to save Israel. And seeing the transformation that God does in Gideon's life, man, that's encouraging to me. Knowing that, man, you know what? I'm flawed. I mess up. Just ask my wife. I mess up a lot. (laughs) But knowing that in spite of all my flaws, God still desires to use me. So we've seen two things here. We've seen that Gideon's poor circumstances didn't change God's plans for his life either. Gideon's spiritual condition didn't change God's plans for his life. Now, in moments like this, it's really easy for us to look back at what we thought, what we believed was God's plan for our life. There might be somebody in here who says, you know what, pastor, at the age of 15, I was called to preach and I told God no. And preacher, let me tell you, I I know that God could have used me in spite of me, but at this point, I I was called at 15, now I'm 45, 50 years old, it's too late for me. Let me tell you, it's not a matter of whether God will still use you, it's a matter of why have you kept him waiting so long? Because he didn't change his plan for your life, he just waited for you. Because before you sit there and you say, well, it's too, I, I've got a career, I've got a family, I've got, let me tell you, some of the best people I ever met when I was in college were married students. Were men who perhaps were in a secular occupation and God called them or they it had a delayed answer to God's call and they came out and they were some of the best guys you could ever be around. There was a, there was a man that I went to college with, his name was Lee Johnston. 
Lee Johnston was a police officer in North Carolina for 20 plus years. Served faithfully, served faithfully in his church. He had a wife, he had two kids. And in his 40s, 50s, God called him to ministry. And Lee Johnston, in the midst of a 20-year police officer career, sold his house, picked up his entire family, moved them to Lancaster, California, and four years later, graduated from Bible college and is serving as an associate pastor in a church today. And let me tell you, he was one of the most encouraging people you could ever be around. Man, whenever I ran into the marriage students, these guys that were working 40 hours a week along with their schoolwork and taking care of four kids and a wife at home, I'll tell you what, they are some of the most incredible people I ever met. I say all that to say this, it is never too late for God to use you. It never is. You say, well, preacher, God called me at 15. Then go now. What's stopping you? Go now. Why not? God has always been willing to meet us where we are. He doesn't say, and this is, this is part of the issue, is that our world thinks that church is a place where they got to clean themselves up and then they can come to church. No, God says, listen, you make yourself willing. You open your life to me. I'll meet you where you are. I'll clean you up. And we'll go from there. So we see, first, that God will meet us where we are. Our circumstances don't change that. Our flaws don't change that. Praise the Lord. But secondly, we see that God's presence brings peace. God's presence brings peace. So we still have to answer the question of, even in the midst of such terrible circumstances, how in the world did, was Gideon able to build an altar and declare Jehovah Shalom, God is my peace. How in the world was he able to do, do that? Now, there's a little bit of a misconception about peace. Peace is not the absence of trouble. Peace is the presence of God. Peace is not the absence of trouble, but pre peace is the presence of God. I heard one songwriter, I, I enjoy listening to gospel quartets, and I remember hearing one gospel quartet, and they sang a song, and the song went something like this. It said, sometimes he calms the storm, other times he calms his child. Listen, sometimes God is going to stand up, and he's going to stand before the wind and the waves, and he's going to say, peace be still, and he's going to calm the storm. But other times, God's going to come out from the boat, and he may not stand up and say, peace be still, but you know what he will do? He'll take the wheel. Sometimes God doesn't take the storm, but he'll always get us through it. Every single time. Why? Because a smooth sea never made a skilled sailor. Sometimes God will let the waves get a little choppy. Why? For our benefit. And it's hard to see that. It's hard to understand that in the midst of a, of a difficult trial, but we need to understand, again, that peace is not the absence of trouble, but the presence of God. We have to understand that as Christians. Now, it's easy at this point to say, well, preacher, that's way too simple. Way too simple. There's no way that God's presence in my life is just going to get rid of all my fear and anxiety and worry. But wait, hold on. Let's ask ourselves a question here. In previous weeks, we've discussed two other attributes of God. We've talked about God as light. We've talked about God as love. All right? So now let's step back and let's consider. What are worry, fear, and anxiety? Worry, fear, and anxiety, what are they? They are the manifestation and the amplification of fear. That's what they are. 
Worry is, is a fear that perhaps something is going to happen or something's not going to happen. Anxiety is this, is this jitteriness because out of a fear, again, that something might or might not happen. Now think about what the Bible says. In 2 Timothy 1.7, it says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So when we talk about God is light, we talk about how darkness and light cannot coexist. Darkness and light cannot coexist, therefore our sin and God's presence cannot coexist in areas of our life. But what if I told you that darkness had more to do than just with sin? God's presence cannot coexist with any device of the devil. It can't. So if we are truly being filled with the Holy Spirit, then it will by nature expel or dispel the devices of the devil. By definition. Because if fear doesn't come from God, there's only one other place it could come from. If the Bible says that God's not going to use fear as a tool, then when we experience fear, we experience worry, we experience anxiety, there's only one place it could have possibly come from. So when we have God's presence in our life, not only will it help us to get rid of sin in our life, but it will help us with the experiences of perhaps worry and anxiety as the light will inevitably push the darkness out of our life. Because darkness and light cannot coexist. But now consider the second attribute we talked about. God is love. Did you know that the Bible says that there is something that casts out fear? There is something that the Bible says, if it gets into your life, will cast out fear. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 4, 18, verse number 18, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. My friend, there's only one person whose love is perfect. That's Almighty God. Almighty God is the perfect love spoken of in 1 John chapter 4, verse number 18. So if God is light and he is going to dispel the darkness out of our life and get rid of the devices of the devil, and God is love, meaning that God's love will inevitably take fear and get it out of our life, then that means that God's presence brings peace. And what we have to understand here is I, I was talking with the teens about this on Sunday. And we, we just talked about it a little bit here. Is that when we say, okay, perfect love casteth out fear, it doesn't mean that we're not going to go through difficult situations. It just means that when those difficult situations come, oh, it'll be a lot different than normal. You ever met somebody with just such incredible peace in the midst of a trial? It's amazing. It's amazing seeing people who are going through incredible, incredibly difficult trials just have the biggest smile on their face. I'll tell you what, love is a powerful thing. I remember back when I was in college, I, when we hit Thanksgiving break, I, I drove down about an hour south to spend Thanksgiving with my wife and her family. Now, of course, my wife and I didn't stay under the same roof, so I asked my boss, I said, hey, um, I know you live right near the church. Can I, could I, you know, do you have a room I could stay in, a bed I could use? He said, I don't have it for you. He said, but I'll tell you what, there's some empty classrooms uh, that I'll, I'll give you a cot and you can sleep in there. So the genius that I was sitting in a classroom where the only thing between me and the outside world was a window and a door, I decided that right before I went to bed, I was going to watch a crime show. 
And not just any crime show, a crime show about criminals that nobody knew about. The kind of show where I sat there and watched as they fought this terrorist and went, wow, this could be happening right under my nose. And I'd have no idea about it. And as I set my phone down and I went to go to sleep, I thought to myself, holy cow, these people could actually exist. And the only thing between me and them right now is that door. So I started thinking, what, what in the world would make me feel safe? What, 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 what could possibly make me feel safe? Um, okay, with this, no, with this, no. And then I came to a conclusion. I said, you know what would make me feel safe? If my dad was here right now. Now keep in mind, at this point in time, I'm 20 years old. I'm six foot seven. I, I'm not a small person here. But I just said to myself, I said, you know what would make me feel safe if my dad was here? And it wasn't because my dad's, a, my dad's a bodybuilder or anything like that. But what I knew was that if danger ever arose, that my dad would give anything to protect me. I knew my dad loved me. And I knew that my dad's love would, again, go to any length he needed to to protect me. And when God's love gets into our life, it's not necessarily always that the seas are calm. But it's trusting that, you know what, Lord, I know that you love me. I know that you want nothing but what's best for me. And so I'm going to trust that whatever you're putting me through right now, that it's for my benefit and that you're going to get me through it. You know, teens, I'm sure there are times when you trust that with your parents. Mom, Dad, I don't really want to do this right now. But Mom, Dad, I trust that you love me and that you're having me do this for a reason. Love is an incredible thing. And it was these types of things that Gideon, as he sat there looking at the Midianite army, keep in mind that at this point in time, God has not told Gideon all the methodology of how he's going to perform this miracle. He hasn't. Gideon doesn't know how all of this is going to go down. He doesn't know the methodology, methodology that's going to be used. And quite frankly, even if he did know, it probably would have just scared him even more. But despite not having no idea how God was going to do it, Gideon was able to step back and say, you know what, Jehovah Shalom. That You know what, I, God, I don't know what's going to happen. God, you may choose to take my life in order for me to save Israel. But God, you're my peace. God, I'm trusting you every single step of the way. I know that you love me. I know that you're going to guide me. I know that you, you've got a plan for my life. And despite of all my flaws, God, I am not at peace because of the gifts that you've given me. But I am at peace because of your greatness. I am at peace because you are on the throne. Man, aren't you glad that none of this, nothing has ever taken God by surprise. This whole COVID pandemic... This whole, this whole craziness and say what you will about it being politicized or if it's, you know, this is real, this is whatever. But aren't you glad that in the midst of all the craziness, all the mudslinging, all the different rumors and this and that and the other that was flying, that God up in heaven was still on the throne and never once did he tremble, never once was he surprised, never once did he panic, never once was God shaken and said God was on the throne saying, don't worry, I've got this. 
aren't you glad that we serve a God that is unshakable? And if we cling to him, if we trust in his greatness instead of our own, we too can experience that peace. Because that's the temptation sometimes. That uh, It was something that I particularly struggled with in college. This, this idea that in my life everything would rise and fall on my performance. I think it's something that we all struggle with from time to time. When we come to a point where we say, I don't know how I can do this. I don't know how I can keep going. There are times when we're tempted to play God in our life. Try to make everything happen on our own. Try to make sure that everything's going to go smoothly. Instead of stepping back, saying, you know what, God, you take the wheel. I don't know, I don't know my way through this thing. I don't know how I'm going to get through it. I, I don't know how you're going to work through this. But God, you take the wheel. You be my peace. You be my guide. You be my light. You tell me to jump, I'll say how high. You tell me to sing, I'll ask what song. You tell me to run, I'll ask how fast. Maybe tonight, maybe tonight that's just what you need to do. Maybe you're in the midst of a storm. Maybe you're in the midst of a choppy sea. Maybe you're in the midst of the thunder's cracking and the waves are getting high. And maybe tonight, you just need to step back. Say, you know what, God? I haven't been filled with your presence. God, I, I've been going through this life on my own. God, help me to understand that my circumstances don't define me. You do. Help me to understand that my flaws don't define me. You do. Help me to understand that everything that's going on in life doesn't define your plan for my life. You do. So tonight... What is it that you need to lay at his feet? Is it your circumstances? Is it your flaws? Is it perhaps control? Whatever it is, lay it down. Let God be your Jehovah Shalom, your peace. Let's all stand with our, our heads bowed, eyes closed. God being our peace is so incredibly important for the Christian. But let me just ask you this tonight. Do you have the peace of knowing of whether or not you're going to go to heaven? Do you have peace tonight knowing that if you were to die tonight, that you would wake up in heaven? The Bible says that there's a very simple way in which we can know that. And so tonight, as we move into this invitation time, I just want to ask, with everybody's heads bowed and all, everybody's eyes closed, I'm not going to call you out not going to embarrass you in any way. But I just want to ask tonight, if you're in here and you say, you know what, preacher, I don't know for sure that I have that peace of knowing that I'm on my way to heaven. If that's you, again, I'm not going to call you out and embarrass you in any way. I'd just like to pray for you. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up? You can put it up, put it right back down. We'd love to show you how you can have that peace tonight. We'd love to show you how you can make that decision and know for sure that you're on your way to heaven. Christian, are you at peace?
Have you laid your circumstances down? Is God in full and complete control tonight? Is there something you've been withholding? Some aspect of your life where you've been anxious or worried? Tonight, let God be your Jehovah Shalom. Let him be your peace. Let him take the wheel. And let him guide you. Your flaws don't define you. Your circumstances don't define you. If you'll surrender where if you'll surrender to what God has for you, he'll meet you right where you are. He'll take your hand and he'll guide you every step of the way. Whatever it is, Christian, give it over to him. are bowed, our eyes are closed. If God's spoken to your heart tonight, I would like to invite you to step out and come. That burden you're carrying, why don't you come give it to the Lord tonight? It might be that there's something that God's been wanting me to do for some time. Would you come and say, Lord, I'll do what you want me to do. I, I believe. And Lord, I know you give me the peace to be able to do what you've called me to do. You'll give me the strength to do it. 